0: Welcome to the Ancient World Podcast, a podcast featuring discussions and presentations of Greek myth and philosophy, symbolic readings of the biblical stories, and the renewal and rebirth of the ancient treasures in the Florentine Renaissance. And also, welcome back. And happy new year and welcome to the third season of this podcast. We had two seasons last year as the first year of the podcast and we're going to continue now with the second year and uh, we're going to have a focus for this season for the next four months, more or less, uh, on the period between Dante and the Divine Comedy and the ancient Greek and the ancient biblical stories with the first five, six hundred centuries and the early church founders. So this is an area we're going to explore and look into, and we're also going to have more of uh, some conversations and interviews, and um, uh, some uh, also with some scholars and experts and collaborators, and also just uh, other YouTubers and podcasters. So those are the two main, uh, main topics or themes for this this season, and we're going to start today with two of the main church founders one from the western part with Saint Clement the third bishop of Rome and then Saint Gregory of Nyssa, which is one of the biggest ones in the eastern and Greek orthodox tradition with uh, it was from around late 300s Saint Clement is from around 90 95 AD and also with especially Saint Gregory we're going to have more of the the symbolic reading of stories, the same thing we had in the beginning of the, the second season, the last season, with Dante and the biblical stories, like how to, like what is the deeper meaning of the stories? So that's going to be also a major theme for this season. Um, and then we're going to also see how, it's v- super interesting how these old ancient Hebrew biblical stories are being absorbed and kind of uh, integrated and blended into both the Roman world and then the Greek Hellenistic world. And then you have so much of the of the, the, the groundwork kind of being laid for how things we take for granted today. Uh, but at the time, this was fully new. So we're, we're going to read now first with St. Clement and it's it's important and also kind of fascinating and and and, and difficult almost to to imagine a, a Roman Empire or a, a south of Europe or just a Europe where the references to the biblical stories, especially the Old Testament, is not familiar to people. So the third bishop of Rome is is kind of very explicitly explaining what some of these stories mean and the connection. Two things in contemporary life in the Roman Empire. So, first now is the, the letter from Saint Clement to the Corinthians. Uh, it's just about thirty what thirty pages, and Corinth Corinth is a is a Greek city close to Athens, one of the first churches. Uh, St. Paul in the New Testament also has some letters to the Corinthian church where he's uh, criticizing so many things that are doing wrong in his view. And this is a bit the same from St. <laughs> Clement. Uh, and, um, and then he's also connecting this to some of the lessons and deeper values of the old biblical stories. But it's also very interesting to, to just get the tone here we're going to read from the beginning, but how roman it is in terms of the, the roman empire the hierarchy the structure organizing thinking uh, and and the approach that he's taking so he starts uh, at the top of the letter you have from the colony of the church of god of rome to the colony of the church of god at corinth Called and sanctified by the will of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, so the word "colony" is important because it means something like transitory, uh, transitorily sojourning, meaning that it's a it's it's a colony, but it's an earthly colony. It's just a temporary place for people to be before they come to the heavenly heavenly world and where you kind of belong eventually. So it starts with the Corinthians' previous good record. So this is, the, this is how he frames it. Like, so he, he's writing to Corinth and says, we're now going to talk about your glorious past. Implying before you have all the problems you have now. So, one. Because of a recent series of unexpected misfortunes and setbacks, my dear friends, we feel there has been some delay in turning our attention to the causes of dispute in your community. So when he talks about misfortunes and setbacks, he's referring to the persecution and the slaughtering of Christians in Rome and the Roman Empire under Emperor Domitian. So it's a, it's a slight understatement from, from Clement when he talks about setbacks and misfortunes. Uh, and then he continues. We refer particularly to the odious and unholy breach of unity among you, which is quite incompatible with God's chosen people. And which a few hot headed and unruly individuals have inflamed to such a pitch that your venerable and illustrious name, so richly deserving of everyone's affection, has been brought into serious disrepute. There was a time when nobody could spend even a short while among you without noticing the excellence and constancy of your faith. Whoever failed to be impressed by your sober and selfless Christian piety, to tell of your generous spirit of hospitality, or to pay tribute to the wide range and soundness of your knowledge. It was your habit at all times to act without fear or favor, living by the laws of God and deferring with correctness to those who were set over you. So this is the beginning, and then he also talks about humility. Humility to you and a complete absence of self-assertion were common to you all. And then he gets to the first part of of the problem. So the sinfulness of jealousy. And now we're also going to see how he starts to to explain and connect things to the old biblical stories. So, three. But when good repute and rising numbers were granted to you in full measure, the saying of scripture came to pass. My beloved did eat and drink, he grew and waxed fat and kicked. Envy and jealousy sprang up, strife and dissension, aggression and rioting, scuffles and kidnappings, Men of the basest sort rose up against their betters, the rabble against the respectable, folly against wisdom, youth against its elders. And now all righteousness and peace among you is at an end. Everywhere men are renouncing the fear of God, the eye of faith has grown dim, and instead of following the commandments and living as becomes a citizen of Christ, each one walks after his own desires of his own wicked heart. All have fallen back into the horrid sin of envy, the sin that brought death into the world. So, here you see, after a more general critique, from from, from, it's kind of this organizational critique almost about that Corinth, uh, it's full of internal conflict, intrigue, envy, jealousy, uh, kind of pride, uh, big egos, and then suddenly Clement is connecting this to. The sin of envy, which brought death into the world. So he he continues. For what scripture says is this. After some days, Cain brought an offering to God of the produce of the earth. And Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock and their fatness. The Lord took a favorable view of Abel and his gifts, but ignored Cain and his offering. At this Cain took offense, and his face grew black. Why are you so put out? The Lord asked him. Why so crestfallen? You were right to bring me an offering, but wrong in the decision you made. Was that not a sin? Not another word. He shall turn to you, and you shall have the mastery over him. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let us go out to the open country. And when they were out in the open, Cain fell upon his brother Abel and slew him. So that's the quotation, and then Clement goes on. So you see, my friends, how envy and jealousy brought about the murder of a brother. Also, it was jealousy that made our father Jacob take flight from the presence of his brother Esau. Jealousy again all but hounded Joseph to death and brought him into servitude. Moses, because of jealousy, had to flee from Pharaoh, king of Egypt, after he had heard one of his fellow countrymen say, Who made you our judge and arbiter? are you meaning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And then he keeps going on with more, more examples. Uh, but it's interesting, to, like the tone that St. Clement is using is that he's explaining and presenting something that is not so familiar. And um, you, you also then see the first meeting and, in, and, and blending of, of the old Roman with the biblical, like the, the, the deeper values of the old biblical stories. And then also, why (laughs) this story about Cain and Abel is, in some sense, the first story in in the whole all of the biblical stories of people born by peoples. It's it's put there for a reason. Okay, and then you have several um, interesting so subtitles in the, the the letter, the epistle, the humility of Christ and the saints, harmony and cooperation. Are lessons which nature itself teaches us, so here Clement is connecting it to how they saw like the how nature was working and how like things are in harmony and the different parts of nature uh, they are cooperating with each other, and there's one other very interesting uh, t- title subtitle which is the church's liturgy and hierarchy are of divine institution and must be respected so, but this is interesting because of just the, the the mentality and the thinking of the Roman Empire and the Romans as engineers as um, organizer organizers and as, as soldiers, which is reflected both in the Empire and in the Catholic Church so um and he keeps going with uh also like the the message of of love and then the blessedness of the Christian love and some more recommendations so that's all we're gonna have from Saint Clement, but what some things to notice is just how straightforward it is. It's easy to read, it's easy to understand, and it's just a kind of a, a to- <laughs> someone who is the top of an organization. Talking to a, a unit like this church in Corinth, and then he's teaching them, and he's also then showing us how this was the first steps of of laying the groundwork for for the earliest church founders. Okay, and then the next one, which is important f- more for the Eastern tradition, Gregory of Nissa. So, and this was then written in the late three hundreds. He's He's very interesting because it's sometimes it's like reading a, a contemporary intellectual who is also interested in the spiritual and symbolic worlds, and then he's, um, he's in some sense he's reshaping and almost transforming how you can think about some of these stories, and he's also blending this in, the, and this was one of his um. His uh, intentions and ambitions was to, to blend this with the Greek Hellenistic cultural world and the philosophy and also the spiritual philosophy of the Greek. And then we're going to see uh, what that sounds like. Uh, it's very easy to read. He's also kind of interesting and, and helpful as a guide and he's making these addresses to you as a reader to show you that he's aware of <laughs> of your reading process and like how... Uh, how to best tr- start this journey into understanding the symbolic world better and the symbolic reading so he starts with the prologue and well at horse races the spectators intent on victory shout to their favorites in the contest even though the horses are eager to run from the stands they participate in the race with their eyes thinking to incite the charioteer to keener effort, at the same time urging the horses on while leaning forward and flailing the air with their outstretched hands instead of with a whip. They do this not because their actions themselves contribute anything to the victory, but in this way, by their good will, they eagerly show in voice and deed their concern for the contestants. I seem to be doing the same thing myself, most valued friend and brother. So already you get the address to the reader, to yourself when you're reading it. While you are competing admirably, <laughs> admirably in the divine race along the course of virtue, light-footedly leaping and straining constantly for the price of the heavenly calling, I exhort, urge and encourage you vigorously to increase your speed. I do this not moved to it by some unconsidered impulse, but to humor the delights of a beloved child. So this is this is his way of of framing uh, the whole book. So this is the the life of Moses, and now he's going to tell us what, or at least one way of understanding and looking at the the life and the the incidents and the kind of the the whole sequence of events in the life of Moses and what they mean, or at least could be interpreted to mean, and and how we can learn and open a whole new world from this. So. We have picked out just two, two parts of it. First, you have 20 pages of, um, he's uh, called this history, which just descriptions of, of the life of Moses. And then you have 90 pages of interpretation. So it opens with, so we're going to look at Moses' birth and then the burning bush. So first the birth. It's called birth and childhood. One. Moses was born at the time Pharaoh issued the decree for male offspring to be destroyed. How shall we, as a matter of choice, imitate this fortuitous birth of Moses? Someone will rightly raise the objection that it does not lie within our power to imitate in our own birth that famous birth. But it is not hard to begin the imitation with this seeming difficulty. So, what he's doing here in some sense is to just uh, show and explain that to the extent that you can see Moses' life as an, an example and a metaphor, an allegory for your own soul's journey from the birth of your spiritual life and to virtue, as he calls it. This is more like a Hellenistic concept, like to the virtue and all the steps you go on that journey. To the extent that you want to imitate, it's not meant to imitate in a literal sense in the sense that the story of Moses is not a literal story in this context. So he says, everyone knows that anything placed in the world of change never remains the same, but is always passing from one state to another. The alteration always bringing out something better or worse. This is very profound and important with Gregory that he sees life as continuously changing. Uh, There's a continuous birth and renewal And there's an organic perpetual uh, progression in your life and your spiritual life and the universe. So uh, the narrative is to be understood according to its real intention. And then he keeps going. It certainly required that what is subject to change be in a sense always coming to birth in mutuality. In mutable nature, nothing can be absurd, which is always the same. Being born in the sense of constantly experiencing change does not come about as a result of external initiative, as is the case with the birth of the body, which takes place by chance. Such a birth occurs by choice. So what he's saying now, that like your own birth, your physical, biological birth is not your choice, but the birth of your spiritual life is your choice. So then, we are in some manner our own parents, Giving birth to ourselves by our free choice in accordance with whatever we wish to be. Molding ourselves to the teaching of virtue or vice. This is a very kind of, it's it's individualistic in some sense. It's it's very empowering also that you, (laughs) through your choices, you are guiding your own perpetual rebirth and, and renewal as a person. So you can do this consciously by trying to understand the world and yourself better and the spiritual life better. And then you can you know, put things into place so, so the, the next steps of your, your growth will be something positive and valuable and virtuous in, in, his, in Gregory's world or the intentions. Um, and that this is something we can influence by ourselves. So, we can most certainly enter upon a better birth into the realm of light, however much the unwilling tyrant is distressed. And we can be seen with pleasure and be given life by the parents of this godly, goodly offspring, even though it is contrary to the design of the tyrant. So, what he's going to say here is that he sees the the pharaoh, the the king pharaoh of Egypt, as in some sense... um, a psychological block you have in your head or a part of your rationality that wants to control and dominate your, your, your mind and your, your soul as well. And it tries to block the birth of a spiritual and virtuous life in you. So at least the, the spiritual part. So uh, he sees then that, that Moses is born into a world with a tyrant pharaoh is the condition in which your spiritual life is most likely to be born with resistance from other parts of yourself and your inner life and your parts of your rationality. So that's the first big change in how you can read the story of Moses. And he, he then keeps on going and many many um, examples and details like how. So Moses is then put into a little basket uh, with boards of wood and then put into the river and is then discovered by the daughter of the pharaoh, uh, but is still given nutrition and, and milk from his biological mother as a wet nurse, but then without them knowing that that's his real mother. So what Gregory is saying is that all of this is loaded with symbolism. So the, uh, the basket with the, the boards, the, the wooden boards, so the, the boards are ed- spiritual education, so what he means here is that once you, when you start the birth of your own on a spiritual life, it's like it's thrown into a river, a flowing river, which is the chaos and the unpredictability of life in itself. So to be prepared for that, you need to have the boards, which is the spiritual education. And with that, you will stay afloat, and then you will quickly drift into the side of the river and be safe. So that's the kind of life and the spiritual education you can have. And then the pharaoh's daughter is then meant to be a symbol of profane philosophy, meaning that even your spiritual life will then, to some sense, be, (laughs) um, will be, if not guided, but will also partly be helped by profane philosophy. But the reason... Moses' biological mother is there for nutrition, is that the real spiritual nutrition will be from your spiritual life. So she's still the symbol of the spirituality in this. So she's there and giving the, the nutrition and energy by the profane philosophy is, is, is helping in the process. And Gregory is also partly because he was very, very educated in philosophy. And here you have also links to Dante, like it's a in the sense that you need virtual and a, and a intellectual life to guide you like two-thirds of the way, and then you get the spiritual, and Beatrice in that case, to, for the last part. So some of the same th- th- themes here in the way Gregory is reading the story of Moses. Um, but Gregory is also positive to much of the pagan philosophy, also parts of the pagan religion, because it says some of it is right and we can we can take out the good parts of it but then we can also evolve something that is is more rich and informed and and more profound and has more like more right in it so that's the birth of moses and then the second incident or scene or step is the burning bush so here gregory is talking about like the light in the bush is one of those flashes of understanding of spiritual wisdom that you can experience. And then he talks about how Moses needs to take off his his sandals, which is a part of um, removing, like just coming pure towards the spiritual understanding and then uh, learning more from that. So the, this chapter starts with, It is upon us who continue in this quiet and peaceful course of life that the truth will shine, illuminating the eyes of our soul with its own rays. This truth, which was then manifested by the ineffable and mysterious illumination, which came to Moses, is the divine. Uh, The light teaches us what we must do to stand within the the rays of true light. Sandaled feet cannot ascend that height, Where the light of truth is seen, but the dead and earthly covering of skins, which was placed around our nature at the beginning, when we were found naked because of disobedience to the divine will, must be removed from the feet of the soul. And a few more things here. In the same way that Moses on that occasion attained to this knowledge, so now does everyone who like him divests himself of the earthly covering and looks to the light shining from the bramble bush. That is, to the radiance which shines upon us through this thorny flesh and which is, as the gospel says, the true light and the truth itself. A person like this becomes able to help others to salvation, to destroy the tyranny which holds power wickedly and to deliver to freedom everyone held in evil servitude. This also goes into a bigger overall uh, view from Gregory that you have the steps and you have first uh, like the divine is in the light then the divine comes in the cloud the pillar this little tornado and then it finally comes in from the darkness he sees the divine in the darkness so we will get back to that a little bit later but this was just the first little um, opener and a few examples and especially Gregory is something that <laughs> when you open the book and start reading and thinking it's it, uh, you can spend weeks on just uh, digesting and re-examining old thoughts and o- old ways of interpreting things. And it opens also this understanding that th- they could be even more deep like the whole first books or the oldest biblical stories that they're, they're even more symbolic and allegorical than is normally seen and then how that can be it could be a psychological process and it can actually map quite, quite accurately to some of the steps that you might experience. Okay. So we're going to stop it here for this first episode. Uh, hope some of this was interesting, some food for thought. And, um, also I hope you had a, a great Christmas, a great, uh, new year celebration, a great start of the new year and of the new decade. And, um, just want to say like a big thank you for, for coming back here and, uh, Thank you so much for listening and see you again soon. Sick of being upsold at gyms?